Welcome back to For the Water Cooler, the podcast where you get to chat with your favorite coworkers about what you watched last night. I'm Matt Scalisi. Joining me is my virtual office buddy, Caroline Darney. Caroline, we have uh, some exciting stuff to talk about on the show. We, we've got a great guest later in the show, our friend Alex Kirshner from Split Zone Duo. Uh, and, and he picked a show that I needed someone to push me to watch. I'm- so excited about this. And we're going to be talking about Severance with Alex later in the show. But we watched, uh, I, I know you watched something that you probably have been meaning to watch for a long time, which we're going to talk about. Decades, really. Yeah, in the first half of the show, I caught up on a couple of things. So we've got a bunch of stuff to get to. Yeah. But before we do that, we have a great voicemail question from friend of the show, Stuart. Uh, that I wanted us to get into right away because I think this could be a really fun discussion. Um, Chandler, can you play that that voicemail? Hey, man, Caroline. Stuart from Birmingham here again. I just wanted to call in and tell y'all how much I've been loving Masters of the Air after y'all recommended it on this high-quality podcast. And really what it made me think about is just how much better a weekly release show is than a binge-watch show. I think I really just need somebody to save me from myself and and let that anticipation build for the next episode like in masters of the air currently there's a certain pilot that is missing and we don't know what's happening to him normally if this was a binge watch show i'd be able to get the instant gratification Mm -hmm. right now but i gotta wait a week maybe a few weeks and it just makes me really excited for the next episode so I wanted to call in and see where you guys land on on the debate. Do y'all prefer a weekly release show, or do y'all just want to sit down and binge watch? Really enjoying the podcast. Thank you, guys. Great question. Yeah, this is a really juicy subject because I feel like we've talked about it maybe in an early episode, and I had a very like firm answer that I'm like, I have really strong feelings about this. And as I hear Stuart ask the question, I'm like, Actually, I think I either have the opposite opinion now that I did a year ago, or maybe what, what maybe what my feeling is is that it kind of depends on the show. I don't yeah. know. What do do you have like a hard and fast rule about this? No hard and fast, absolutely not. Um, I uh, it's tough because there's stuff that I really want to binge. Sometimes when I find when it's a weekly release, I will sometimes back myself up a couple episodes so that I can Mm -hmm. watch a couple at a time. And I'm really weird about it because it also varies on like, sometimes if it's all released at once, I don't even start watching it for a while because I know that I'm going to watch all of it in a very short amount of time. And then I'm going to be sad that it's done. So it's a very weird, I really like the sentiment Stuart said of like saving me from myself. (laughs) I know, I know exactly the moment he's talking about, I, (laughs) And it's funny because that specific scenario in Masters of the Air is what I had all the episodes um, to binge. And I did binge them over a two-day span uh, once I got all nine. Uh, Because then when I originally got the first, like, four, I was slow rolling it. Because the same thing. I was like, when I'm done, I'm done. And I'll be sad. Um, But for that specific instance that he's talking about where pilot, you don't know what happens to a specific pilot. And the answer has come out since... Like he recorded that voicemail and whatever, because I've gotten so many texts from my friends that were like all caps and gifts and like the whole thing. 
but I literally within the episode could not wait. Like I couldn't. Yeah, you had to spoil it for yourself. I spoiled it for myself. I Googled it. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's a historical show. And I knew that if I Googled his name, I would find out how long he lived. And so then it would give me the answer whether or not he was. That's really funny. I I mean, I I think so. So there's, I mean, there's a whole podcast out there uh, that I, 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 I think it's called, I think it's called ruined is, is the name of the podcast, but my, there are people who like the anxiety of watching something is too much for them and they yeah. have to spoil stuff for themselves because it, and they can't, they can't wait. They can't allow the story to play out. Oh, but see, that's the thing in anything else. I'm the complete opposite because, yeah. so, and this goes with, so I never, ever, ever, ever want to know who wins the bachelor. I never want to know. And that, <laughs> is out there. that info's out there. Um, but for some reason, so I cannot, I absolutely in zero ways. Let, let me ask you. Record, let, I cannot record games off of television sports. Okay. That, see, this is what I was going to ask you, right? Is, is th- <laughs> this is a, for sports fans, this is a, I would say even, even slightly more precarious question because in, and the, once upon a time there was there, this didn't exist as a thing. Like you watched mm-hmm. it live and it came into everybody's TVs and radios yeah. and whatever at the same time. Now, because because of the way that we watch sports events via streaming, Twitter is faster by like maybe, you know, 10, 15 seconds even sometimes than the feed that you're watching the you know, game on. And you can, Twitter. if you want to, you can open Twitter and spoil the play that's about to happen for yourself. And I know people that do this because they cannot handle the anticipation. You know, but I don't, I don't think I could do it. You know, it's faster than Twitter stat broadcast, which you're. Oh, yes. Right. Well, that's real. That's like sports media heads know about stat broadcast. I every single away Virginia men's basketball game. I will be doing this tomorrow night when they play Boston College. I will have stat broadcast open and it will tell me exactly what happens. And then I will look up for whatever. (laughs) Like I, 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 I go to live sporting events. I was at the game on Saturday and they played UNC and I was like. I have to wait until it happens. Yeah, just, you, like, there is no there is no way to to cheat reality. Yeah, but, so. but, but it's funny because if you could do that, right? <laughs> if you could have a version of stat broadcast for what was happening in the movie you were watching, would you be able to resist doing it? Where yes, yes. you can you can you can but you can prevent I'm so different. So this this thing with with Masters of the Air is a very um, particular exception for me <laughs> partly because the way that i think the show is just literally that good like where i could not handle waiting to find out what happened to this character and the, especially like the character and the actor who brought so much to the show and everything was like i cannot <clears throat> i cannot continue on in my life any longer then I have that i have to find out what happened to him and in this case i don't think that it ruins what actually happened so like i'm still fine with it and so back to stored's like general question is i think what we've missed out on with the boom of binging is the moments of everybody collectively and this actually i will throw into the pot weekly release streaming this is the same thing streaming has done this i think because imagine if you were all 
if we were all popping on to HBO at 9 PM every Sunday to watch the new masters of the air episode. And we've talked so much about how much we're going to talk about an Apple show that we love, that I love that I cannot wait for the second. And I, and I would say, I I mean, it's funny that he asked this because I, because I'm sure that you and Alex watched uh, severance on a week to week basis for the most part. Yes. I don't know when you both watch it. Yeah. I, I, I binged it for the most part all at once here. Yeah. And so there's part of me that's, that's sitting here thinking, cause look, I did used to be a guy that said, I think week to week is the way to go. It's the way TV was meant to be watched. And, and it, it's exactly for the reason you're saying that like it creates conversation and moments outside right. the show where we talk to each other about this stuff. But well, the problem is now, even with streaming week to week, I don't know if you watched Masters of the Air at 6 a.m. on Friday or if you yes. went at 9 p.m. And, and that was a problem. I think we on Saturdays or we started to discover is. that I, to me when Disney Plus hit and we yeah. had these shows Low like Man- Mandalorian and WandaVision are two that I remember going, I'm watching these the second I can. Yeah. But other people have are not going to see it till the end of the day. And then uh, there were other shows where there I woke up and I couldn't go on social media because every yeah. because people I follow had already seen the show and I hadn't yeah. seen it yet. That's the stuff that I think stinks. Like there's there are some shows that um, I'm currently watching the very first season of 24. Which what a, what a choice, Caroline. I and I watched twenty. I I loved twenty four. I actually own season one of twenty four on DVD. Kids. Can we have actually? Do I? We need to have a conversation about the number of laws that Jack Bauer broke in the first like six hours of his day. The very first episode, he shoots his own boss in the thigh with a. <laughs> Do you remember this? I just no. There's there's honestly only like three things that I remember happening on Twenty Four. Do you remember? You know know what one of them is going to be? I guarantee. Well, I don't. So don't tell me because I literally don't remember what happens at the end. Oh, okay. All right. But I I did just get to. I will say the daughter's storyline. Who? What? Remind me that actress is is it Alicia Cuthbert? Is that her name? Yes. Yes. Had the most absolutely ludicrous storyline happening in this show. I am convinced, and I looked it up. You're you're gonna be shocked. Not a lot of women writers in that writers room. I can't. I, I'm I'm can definitely believe. And you know how I knew before looking it up. Every single woman on this show is an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's every very it's very much awful. Everything revolves. It is it is essentially for people who have not seen Twenty Four. The 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 gimmick of it is that it's an entire twenty four hour period in real time. You are watching yeah. a full day with the clock ticking. The clock, which is whatever. Fine. That's a fine. That that it's premise fine. alone is interesting. Premise. Yeah, that, and it only works in in the era where there's twenty four episodes in a season of TV. But yeah. the the in actuality, the show that you're watching is basically kind of a cross between a really stupid. Uh, Gerard Butler movie, right? Like, a, <laughs> yes. and and yep. Taken, like the movie Taken, the 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 like where all women are helpless damsel objects that get kidnapped constantly, and no. it's the male hero's job to constantly go and rescue them from kidnappings. So, in the, one of the more recent episodes I just watched, this is just to give you guys, if you this, I hope it will convince you to watch the show. I'm not even kidding. It is. It is so absurd and I, I'm loving every second of it. But so Jack Bauer's wife 
and daughter had been kidnapped. They got them back already. Both got kidnapped. Got them back around lunchtime. So great. They were in the safe house. The safe house got hit. So they escaped in like a Ford sedan and they're driving around the Hollywood Hills. They escape the like Eastern European hitman that's chasing them, whatever. So Terry, the wife stops the car and gets out to like assess the situation. And I'm not entirely sure how this happens. The car goes off the cliff with the daughter in it and so then it explodes so she's like yes. oh my god we just did yes. all this i just saw my daughter die in this like car explosion and so she is like oh my god and starts walking a woman picks her up and she's like what are you doing i was she's like i don't know she gets immediate trauma amnesia no idea who she is no yep. idea why she's out there i do remember this she her, has amnesia for in she has fire. amnesia for let's say like three or four episodes right and, Fantastic. and what Can't that means is what this means because of the premise of the show is that she has amnesia for about three or four hours and then yes. doesn't have it anymore. So it's an amazing the daughter, show. But, the daughter but- jumped out of the car. So the daughter's <laughs> alive and now thinks that she's been like re-kidnapped. But really the yeah, mom is right. in a strange restaurant meeting some strange man that we don't know yet because apparently she remembers being this restaurant. The, no, no, this is like perfect. The show this is, is the but this is you're you're illustrating a really good point about what we were talking about, which is that some shows were literally not designed to be binged. And I would right. say this, this kind of a- don't work if you do it that way. And I would say 24, <laughs> it's so much more ludicrous if you are actually watching it in real time, yes. even though the premise yeah. of it is yeah. that it's supposedly in real time. We it's meant to, have, to be one week at a time. We used to have like get togethers in college. Yeah, sure. My friend Nick's apartment, Nick, <laughs> Mike's apartment, we turned the lights out and if anyone talked you got yelled at like how many how many like parties have you been to for like a season premiere or season finale of a show right 100 in college and like undergrad and all sorts of stuff we used to i mean even just not a thing anymore like that will never happen again basically no it was it was a and that's the thing where i guess all of this boils down to is like there's something to be said about appointment viewing. That line has been so blurred because of streaming and when things drop and yep. 2 a.m., you know, 3 a.m. Eastern, midnight Pacific, and like who's getting up at three to watch the low key yeah. episode. Look, the real the real key here yeah. is that we just gotta we gotta cut the West Coast loose. We gotta stop <laughs> caring caring about those people on the West Coast. <laughs> we can't we cannot we go. We need to go back to treating Californians like they are another country and don't worry about their time zone. We have to start sporting events at 6 p.m. <laughs> like none of this. Hey, and look, and the Big Ten is helping us with this mission. They are <laughs> they are forcing West Coast people to become Midwestern and East Coast people. Yeah. And it's it, we, we'll bring them along. Into, yeah. th- this is our, our fascist imposition of, <laughs> of East Coast I just, time zones. I really, really do, though. I think there's a great time and place for a binge and i i think that that's yeah some shows absolutely yeah. and i and i would say I and mean, we'll get into this with alex severance works great as a binge yes. i i think that in general shorter shows work really well that way like the 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 sort of british model yes the, six, the like, six to eight episode thing works usually great as a single piece um and and Apple's had some good had some good examples of that. I think probably more so than a lot of the others. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it it comes down to the show. And the the bear is another one that is they just sort of decided we're putting I don't the know whole season out at once. Um, and, and even though I'm everything I'm saying here, like 
it to me it doesn't work as good for the bear. I want to pace. I want to pace those out. And and again, um, that could be a thing. Again, I we I've had I've aired my grievances on. The I, bear. We all know that you don't that how you feel about the bear, but like, but uh, in terms of how the show, show it is a show that could be absolutely consumed by everybody online at a specific time on FX. Like, I mean, think of think of the way that that the sort of buzz developed around individual episodes of that show in this past season. How everybody talked about that fishes episode, and then. Yeah. And then everybody talked about the one after it and the conversation was sort of blurred and overlapped between the two when there was no reason it should have been that way. It, it, it's, it could have dominated social media yeah. for three weeks on the yeah. strength of those two episodes. So it's so specific to the individual show as to how it works best, I yeah. think. I could talk. I there's. I could talk about this stuff forever. It's. It's. it's yeah. It's hard because it's a it's style of show, type of show, like comedy. Yeah. I could watch <clears throat> a million Abbott Elementary episodes in, in a row. And a lot. And look, that's like a new. I, I I would say even though streaming obviously changed that for a lot of sitcoms, the binge model actually maybe is older than we realize for that because syndication even though it's not the same it's not the same as watching one episode after another forever until netflix says are you still watching yeah syndication made it so that five days a week the same show was on every day yeah and i think that in some ways that's like baby binging that that you could come home from school if if, for example and watch an episode of the X-Files Monday through Friday in the afternoon, every single day that yeah. has a binge quality to it, doing it that way. How do you feel about the middle ground? So same, let's, let's use Bridgerton as an example. So season three of Bridgerton is coming out in a couple months. I think it's in April or May. Um, they are doing two releases, the half season in, thing. Yeah. One in June, one in May, one in June, I think. Yeah, it is. And, and stranger things has done that also. Yeah. How do you, what, what's your vibe around that? Do you like, I like it? I like it more than, than the full season for shows like that. And, and I haven't seen Bridgerton, but like to me, what? it was good for stranger things because to me, that's a show that should be a weekly show and, mm-hmm. and it's not. And so at least cutting it in half gives us like a minute for reflection of, of, what all has happened in these episodes? I think I think particularly for a one-hour drama, yeah. you start to forget what even happens in these episodes when you when you watch them all in a single blur. You know, yeah. I, I think it works. It makes more sense, and your brain kind of digests it all better when it's one one week at a time. And I think that's a big part of why Mandalorian had had such a big impact was because we'd watch the episode we'd meme it for a whole week. And so these like little moments from it became iconic that would stick in our brains. I think, I think it makes, I honestly, I think, I think you can make it work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least the half season does something, at least it gives you a little bit of a minute to process things. Um, Anyways, great question from Stuart. Really good, really good discussion. I want to briefly go back to last week's episode. Caroline, where we, you and I, and our good friend Blake Schuster, uh, played the producer game, which uh, will, will I, I think, be a semi-regular feature going forward on this podcast. I think we should get people on and do this again because this was really fun. 
essentially we had to draft a cast for a movie and then we got randomly assigned uh, a genre and we had to pitch a movie to you guys and come up with uh, our, our best possible argument for why you should, you should, you, the audience should green light our movie. Uh, Blake pitched a, a Bioshock adaptation from the, the video game series. Caroline's <clears throat> was a, uh, an Elvis themed horror thriller called suspicious minds. <laughs> and mine was a, uh, was a musical biopic about the band ABBA called the winner takes it all. We asked you guys to vote on social media and I mean, look, I, I had a feeling I, I, to be not to not to make excuses. I got a little hemmed in by my genre, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had a I had a good cast. I had a bad script and I get it. And I came in. A, <laughs> you had the guy that did Madam Web coming in, right? Yeah, right. I, and I was a distant third. Not not that surprising to me. I, I do think it would make some decent money at the box office if it got out. But I don't think it would be that great of a movie. Caroline and Blake, it was a much closer battle for first place robbed. between the Bioshock two. Bioshock carried. Bioshock ultimately I came out on top with 46% of the vote. Caroline got uh, 38% of the vote. I mean, real look, a I very respectable battle. I think it's still getting, like my low budget, like it's still getting made. Glenn Powell is producing that. Like it's still going to. It's gonna make money. I, I I would absolutely see yours, and I <laughs> nothing against Blake, but like I, if you haven't listened to last week, go back and listen to when Caroline is real time pitching this movie off the top of her head, and you can hear me like like pulling my hair out, blown away by how good this pitch is. I, it was it was genuinely really fun, and we actually talked after the show after we finished recording. We all sat there like spitballing it a little bit more, like adding details to it because yeah. we, i honestly think it would be good it would be so fun i i am completely could i've convinced myself that this would make tons of money i need to i need to call glenn's people and yeah make this happen. <laughs> all right so caroline i want to talk about something that i i was aware that you watched yeah this weekend because you were talking about it on social media you're doing the classic caroline stream of consciousness tweet through of the movie you yeah. watched the 1999 movie the mummy mm-hmm. which i would say definitely like this is big time millennial canon like this is yeah. a very significant movie culturally for a lot of people our age and it, it has managed to slip past you for this long yeah, until now I, it's one of those i thought i had seen it like i was like yeah i've seen that i had to have seen that but I'd seen so many clips and reactions and et cetera, et cetera. Like I knew the cast and the impact that the gorgeousness of young, you know. Um. Well, yeah, that the meme online, right, is that the movie is important <laughs> because it it made everyone realize uh, essentially specifically what uh, what gender they're attracted to. Yes. Like One way or the other. Sexuality for millennials yeah. that are coming of age in the yes. late 90s. Because you have Rachel Wise, who's gorgeous. And you have Brendan Fraser, who's gorgeous. And I don't think, I think you can make the argument, well, Rachel Wise has stayed beautiful. Like She basically, share, share basically looks almost the same. He's gorgeous. <laughs> but <laughs> this is the handsomest 
sexiest, most beautiful, whatever words you want to use that Brendan Fraser has looked. His hair's perfect. This the- dude is, he has a genuine movie star, capital M, capital S in this movie. Yeah. And I don't know, I'd have to look into like his IMDb more and all this. Like, I, I know it was such a great moment. Um, was it last year he won for the whale? That's right. Um, it was a big moment for him. I think that was his, that was his first Oscar, wasn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it was such an emotional big moment. I absolutely love that for him, even though I really liked Austin Butler's Elvis, even though I hated, didn't really like that movie, but he. Austin earned, Butler has a long career ahead of him. Yeah. He's Brendan Fraser deserved to win. He earned that award. It was it's such a beautiful moment, but he, his, Career was so interesting to me because like there was so much, when I think, when I thought of Brendan Fraser, a lot of times I think of those like dude bro movies and stuff like the K he, wasn't there like a caveman one that he did where it was the he was George of the jungle. He George was, of the jungle. he was an Encino man. Yes. That's, uh, that's the, the cave. Have. That's the cave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just this like, Oh yeah. And then he made the mummy and I don't know. So I watched the mummy and the mummy returns. Um, <laughs> hilarious vibes in these movies very silly movies yeah and you know what's a lot of weird sound effects what's really interesting is a lot of people always point to the sam raimi spider-man the first spider-man and and x-men as like oh these are like the blueprint for the mcu but i actually i actually would point to this movie way more i think the the MCU got a ton of its DNA from the mummy because yeah. it is it, it is a special effects big budget summer blockbuster. But I think what made this movie such a huge hit and what makes it work and be so entertaining is that while all of that stuff stuff is is convincing and looks good enough to make this movie feel like it has stakes and make you feel a little nervous watching the action. Yeah. The entertainment all comes from the fact that these characters are really likable and yeah. really funny, and their the, their banter is what makes this movie so enjoyable to to go through all the way. Like that to me is such a Marvel thing. That I mean, to the point that now people criticize it and say they're never serious; they're always joking around with each other. But like that's what yeah. makes it a fun movie. I, I think that's, you know, when I say it's silly, I look at the scene where like she knocks down all the bookshelves and you're just kind of like, well, look at that. Would you? Um, and there's some stuff where my, I always, the problem I have with these types of movies is stop opening shit. <laughs> stop. stop. <laughs> like, don't open the death book. Don't. And this is, this goes for scientists now. Like, Please don't thaw random ice cores. And this was like before people had the compulsion to do it. Like where now you read, you'll read the story where like, oh, they opened a mummy's sarcophagus and they found some juice in there. And then like everyone's, everyone's tweeting like, I want to drink the juice. No, watch. (laughs) uh, I need scientists to watch a movie. This goes for the, the, hey, Boston Dynamics people, listen, stop making robot dogs. Stop. Stop doing stop making robots that can dance. It's not cute. What if we made what if we made one that can bite? Oh my god. It's just please just watch Terminator. Like anybody, like any scientist, just watch a movie. But no, it's um 
<laughs> once you get past that idea of like, sure, I, again, I think I have an adrenaline issue where I'm like, the adventurer in me is is squashed by the person that's like, maybe we shouldn't open the ancient tomb. Um, but it's so, the movie is so well cast. I think that's a little cheesy at points, which fine, it's 1999. Um, my sister loved, loves, uh, currently, I don't know, the the guy who plays the mummy. <laughs> like she thought he would, she, he was so handsome. Whatever. Wait, it's so wait, like, we're talking about, uh, what, what is, what is that guy's name? <laughs> Hang on. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, it's, it's, it's Imhotep, right? Yeah, yeah. His name is Arnold Vosloo. And he she, actually, he was in kind of a lot of stuff. He loves him. Yeah. He was in, he was in hard target. Uh, <laughs> so my sister saw this when it came out this is one of those things that's so funny is this is how it was kids this is how it was in the 90s sometimes if you just for some reason like it might have been that i was sick the weekend that they went that my sister went to the movies or my sister went to the movies with her friends and didn't want her little sister tagging along like there's any number of and then if you miss that one thing like you've got to find a vhs later or like whatever other things but I don't know how it eluded me for so long. The second one is is so shenanigans heavy, where it's just like I'm yeah, sorry, they, you, know, you know, a guy with a flying boat. Like where they, they lean go? into the 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 silliness more. Yeah, for sure. It was a, it was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, like I said, the 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 chemistry between Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss is is honestly what makes it work so well. Like, uh, oh yeah, I, for sure. Brown. And I I would say I I think. Rick O'Connell, the Brendan Fraser character. I, I think he Rick is... Rick O'Connell is the worst name for him, by the it's, way. It's, He's out there like, Rick! And I'm like, that's not a Rick. Like Smiley I'm McTeeth or whatever his name would yeah. be. But like, he is... It's... it's. I think there's a little bit of Captain America in there. I think there's a little bit yes. of Iron Man in there. Like the... Like being not afraid to make a character a sort of cheesy square chinned old timey movie hero yeah. and making that a cool thing again, instead of, instead of people watching it going, this is silly. It's cheesy. It's not realistic enough. People yeah. were like, actually, this is cool that it's just a movie character. Like and that he's a guy right out of an old movie. Very Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, and I, I enjoyed it. I had a ton of fun with it. And, uh, the graphics, obviously, 1999. I'm not going to be too hard on. They were way worse in the second one, where they tried to make like a digital. Yeah, rock. they got they got out over their skis a little bit as they yeah, went the on. Scorpion, in the, the Scorpion Rock Man at the end. Was Scorpion King is bad, bad, bad. Awesome. Um, yeah, and and it got and here the weird thing about this franchise, Caroline, I I need to I need to look it back up, but I think officially in the Mummy franchise, it only recently stopped and i think there actually are technically like like really? over 10 movies in this no franchise. i they always kept, I, I ran out uh hulu ran out after the those are the only two that it's that were in like the mummy series they didn't have so i've not seen the scorpion king so i'm assuming that's the one that actually has the rock so in it. there's an entire mummy franchise that branches off into the scorpion king movies um and then it also turns. It also eventually has spinoffs of that, and it goes all the way to a movie called The Scorpion King: Book of Souls, which was a direct-to-video movie Ooh. that is technically still in the same franchise. 
that came out in 2018. That was the last movie in this in the franchise started in the 1999 Mummy before they is there attempted any, to reboot. Is there any actor that we would recognize that's in that movie? In in the Scorpion King Book of Souls, I'm I'm yeah. pulling it up right now to see who <laughs> yeah. the cast is of this movie. I mean, there's a few blue names in the Wikipedia page, but I don't recognize any of them yeah. immediately. The, uh, uh, the lead the, character is named Zach is an actor named Zach McGowan who uh, was on Agents of Shield, but I do not recognize the character name. Oh man! Uh, yeah, it looks like he's done a bunch of like genre stuff. He was in Black Sails. He was in one of the Terminator failed reboot movies. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it just it just was weird because it kind of I like a lot of things from the '90s. It, it was very franchisable in in the old way, in the way that stuff used to be turned into franchises, which was that we can kind of fool people at the blockbuster, at the red box into an innumerable number of sequels, even if it doesn't have any of the same cast. And you kind of can't really get away with it anymore today. But it, it was it was kind of an an old school last of that wave of movies to get turned into a big long franchise. Yeah. It um the uh the brother I recognized and it was hard to separate him from the was it stars that did Spartacus? <laughs> uh yes that guy is, is Wallace that was that guy's, Wallace's that he was like the he owned the house that Spartacus was uh trained was yeah yeah yeah, he's hung around for a long time. That actor, um, yeah. his name is John Hanna, and uh, he's he's a really funny dude. He was in Sliding Doors. He was in a bunch of stuff in the nineties. Yeah, and then uh, you know, just like a lot of these folks, I mean, they're they're Rachel Vice ended up becoming a big star and and yeah. being in a bunch of Oscar nominated stuff. But you know, Brent, I don't want to go into the whole story, but like Brendan Fraser's career basically got derailed by uh, sort of people in Hollywood being awful and uh, that, that industry yeah. being gross. And it, it, it sucks because you watch him in that movie and he is, like I said, unbelievable charisma, so fun to watch. And there's no reason that guy shouldn't have had yeah kind of a similar career to what somebody like Chris Evans ended up That's having. In his time. Comparison I was going to make. Yeah. And, but instead he got kind of put, you know, pushed off to the side. He ends up doing a bunch of kind of really stupid uh, BC level movies and then disappears for a long time. And it's great to see him having this Renaissance now that he's working with, you know, Darren Aronofsky and Steven Soderbergh and all these, uh, he's and Martin Scorsese and all these, these big time directors want to work yeah. with Brendan Fraser, which is cool. Yeah. It's awesome. He's a, uh, it was, he presented at, I'm now I'm getting all my award shows mixed up, but I think he was at the SAG awards last weekend. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I think we just had uh, a post up on for the win about this, but it's, I, I think they're going to have all the winners from last year present the, yeah, the Oscars I, again this year, which, yeah. which should be really fun. And that would mean we would get Brandon Frazier. So we'll see. Whatever, whatever, whatever uh, show is watching, whether it was the SAG awards or the one that was right before that he came out, he looked great. It was so, it's just so good to see. I think that's actually why 
I'll have to look at the timing, but it was like one of those, like, I was like, oh, it, it basically Hulu gets me. And Hulu was like, here are some generally terrible movies to somewhat entertaining movies to entertaining movies. And they just offer, I watched like all the angels and demons and the, the, Da Vinci Code <laughs> the, the Da Vinci code movies. I watched the Da Vinci code cinematic universe. How um, many movies are there in that series? I watched three. Uh, so it's Da Vinci code, uh, angels and demons and Inferno. Um, and that is the order in which I would also rank them like best. <laughs> work. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who was making the Tom Hanks hair decisions, uh, in any of those movies. Um, but same person that makes the Adam Scott hair decisions in Severance. <laughs> He's I've got thoughts on that, but um, but yeah, they were not they were not uh, not the especially the third. Inferno really lost the plot. I thought. Uh, I mean, it was just sort of like those movies are like less fun national treasure, basically. Yes, more way stuffier the national treasure, grim dark national treasure. <laughs> but when, yeah, and it's uh. Uh, Tom Hanks with some sort of international gorgeous woman. So it's a, like a French right, actress sure. or Italian woman or a British woman that's living in Italy. Uh, though I do, I I always like movies, watching movies that are set in cities that I've been to, which I know sounds very stupid, but I, I just kind of like when it's like... Oh, oh sure, you love that. It was the same with like, so like uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning when they're like driving through Rome and like drive, like destroying Rome with a huge truck with uh what's her name? Um, Mantis. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're talking about. There, I sat at those steps. I had a spritzer there, like whatever. Yeah. Um, so I always enjoy, you know, mission, the first mission impossible, they were in Prague and I was like, our hotel was right around the corner from there. I this, see, see I haven't, I, I haven't been to as many places as you. So for me, it's just watching baby driver and going, Oh, that's the Georgia dome. <laughs> It's the only movie I do that with. Oh, that's the George Dolly. Mar- Marvel Marvel movies where they're pretending to be in a different city, but I can spot something from Atlanta in the background <laughs> every time. Incredible. <laughs> um, I I don't want to go. I don't want to have a too long of a discussion about it. But uh, have you have seen Priscilla? Correct. No, you have not seen Priscilla. No. Okay. Uh, it's out there now. It's on. Yeah. It's on uh, HBO Max, I think, or whatever we're calling it now, Max. Max. <laughs> um, I watched it. I watched it this weekend, and uh, I'm a big Sofia Coppola guy. And we've talked about Sofia Coppola's movies on this show before. We talked about uh, Marie Antoinette with uh, a previous guest on the show. You know, I would say there's <clears throat> there is a lot of like that same feel of it's like this really weird, surreal, slightly glamorous, slightly gross, dangerous world, like seen through the eyes of a teenage girl. There's a little bit of that to this. To me, this Priscilla is, I, I have, I had a hard time like figuring out what the takeaway is. Like what is the, the point being made other than just showing her life and this very weird existence she had to live. Um, But it is beautiful to look at. And I have to say also, I know we just talked about that. You love Austin Butler and you love his performance as Elvis. The, the, the performance in this 
from Jacob Elordi is oh, I bet it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's really different. I mean, I mean, they're very different worlds to be in a in a Sofia Coppola movie and a Baz Luhrmann movie. Hundred percent. Yeah, and And this one is. I would actually. That's my biggest. Like when I'm going to compare them, like that's the thing that's the comparison to me is like what they were given and how they were. And Austin Butler was doing full like cocaine dream version of Elvis and 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 in this Jacob Elordi if he's doing the voice and it there's it's kind of an inherently silly voice I guess but it's much more toned down yeah and it's it's a version of the character that I think it's you see a lot more of what she what she liked about him like Mm -hmm. why would this woman have ever liked this guy in the first place but then also like the weirdly bizarre dangerous parts of him too yeah. that probably have not really been talked about elsewhere because because nobody would have known about it you would have to have been you know sharing a bedroom with this guy to know anything about it so I'm, it's it's very it's interesting jacob Elordi's good yeah kaylee, kaylee spaney who's who plays priscilla Presley in this is also really good and that's she's a very good young actress who has like already done a lot of good stuff for being extremely uh, early in her career. Yeah. I'm excited. Just, I'm excited to see it. Um, I feel like we're living in a really good spot of like talented leading men, like a whole young generation of guys who are like kind of skipped that, stupid part of their career that you used to have to go through with guys yeah. like Robert Pattinson, who like now we know we all think of Robert, yeah, we all think of him as a great serious actor, but he had to go through this stupid phase where he had to do goofy stuff to pay the bills and, and pay his dues and get into the industry. It's these guys, of, these guys didn't have to do that. Twilight was probably one of the like best worst things that happened to Robert Pattinson. Sure. Um, Cause but, like, but, time like you get a huge franchise that's mega popular sure. but then you're the guy who's like sparkly vampire guy uh but yeah like i look at jacob Elordi, barry keoghan austin butler um timothy chalamet like Timothee. who's who's i'm i'm forget is it charles melton that's who i'm trying to charles think of. Melton. that guy also really good young male lead i mean there's, there's a whole this whole group of them well, and I like also came right out of the gate doing serious, respectable work. I basically. just feel like we have so many, like you said with Brendan Fraser, movie stars right now. Because like, and I know we always joke and I always bring up Glenn Powell, but Glenn Powell is a certified movie star. Like, yeah, he is a movie star. Like we're having like, like these moments where these actors can go and do a project and it's this uh-huh. like. It's the studio's worst nightmare, Caroline, because actually they, they really loved the IP franchise era, yeah. right? Like the MCU, that kind of stuff, because it's like, well, these movies are successful because of the title of the movie, because of the franchise, yeah. not because of the actor. And now there are these actors. I mean, and for a while that was true. And, and we were seeing like, well, uh, headlines were coming out about can any actor actually draw uh, a crowd to the box office on their name alone anymore. Right. And now kind of seeing that like, maybe this is a group of actors coming up that can do that, that people are going to show up because they're in it. Cause why, I mean, right now it's hard to come up with any other explanation of why, um, 
YA rom-com. I, I mean, a pretty run-of-the-mill looking rom-com. They're got. Did, I mean, did, it was. It's horribly this, marketed too. Anyone yes, right. passed past two hundred million dollars. <clears> but Sid, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell yes. are are perhaps names that now, when they show up in a movie, as long yeah. as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't look like an incredibly stupid movie about a, a psychic spider woman, <laughs> it's probably going to make money. I need to look up how much money Madam Web actually. Made. Uh, it's. Like, I mean, it's. It's. It's not going to do well. It's not going to no, make it that. much impact, but it like how much hate watching it got. But I'm with yeah. you because, and that's the thing. I don't mean to single out the like just the guys either, because then you look at, you know, just even this is why I'm I'm so excited for Dune. So I'm trying not to just overload on the like listing Dune people right now, but like and it is the, just the cast of Dune it though. Is the cast of Dune. so like you you look at if you have Florence Pugh in something, Anya Taylor Joy in something, Zendaya in something, like you said, Kaylee Spaney is someone that is like on this like rocket ship that's climbing right now. There's so many exciting young actors and actresses or people that are captivating in ways that like when they show up to something, you're just like, yes, like, Oh my gosh, put them in more movies. I want to see, I want to see this person on the big screen. I feel like, that hasn't been the case. And I, don't, I, it might just be some of the, you know, like you said, like the, the blockbusters, the comic book movies, the IP that has already existed, that, that drove the traffic. But right now I just feel like we're in a very great spot to like, just keep, every time they announce something, I was like, did y'all take this from my dreams? This is great. <laughs> so yeah, excited. it's good. I mean, that's, this is what we want. Ultimately we want, yeah. we want these movies to be built around two things. We want them to be built around, creative people that we like like artists that we care about and we want them to be built around good ideas that come from good creative people and there i think we are hopefully moving into an era where that's prioritized again after a pretty long period of time where that wasn't the priority where it was about the studios saying i don't really care about anybody's voice or idea or artistry we want this to be a product that we push as much of it out there as possible until people stop buying it. And yeah. I, I think we're in, I think we're headed toward, towards better territory in at least that area. Well, um, we will, we'll stop there for now on our, on our discussion of stuff that we're watching right now. And we will go to our guest, Alex Kirshner, where we can talk about a show that I finally was able to binge this past weekend severance. All right. Welcome back. Super excited to have this guest on. We used to work together. Uh, he's most well known for probably going on. What was it? CNN to talk about the bachelor finale without having watched an episode. <laughs> you know, I believe that was CNN's sister station, the home life network. Oh, perfect. Friend Michaela Pereira. Yes. Perfect. That's mostly where you probably know him from, but if not, maybe it splits on you. Alex Kirshner. How are you? Welcome. My friend Caroline, my friend Matt, great to see you both again. Uh, it's been a, it's been a minute, Caroline. I used to see you in person very often, and now my life has gotten worse, and I don't. <laughs> that's what that's what the whole purpose of this podcast is, Alex. It's an excuse for me to be on a Zoom call with Caroline because I don't otherwise I just won't see any other human beings during the day. It's remote work, to. hell, yeah. We get to hang out, bring our friends on, but we always ask someone. We always ask people to bring pop culture potluck. You picked a great one this week, 
this is I'm so excited because it made Matt go back and watch and give the show an actual chance. And it turns out he does like it. Uh, but you chose Severance from Apple TV. Um, Alex, talk to us about your Severance journey. What made you choose it this week? How are you kind of like, how did you find it? Were you in it from the second it premiered? Find it late? What was the deal with you and Severance? I found Severance probably a few weeks after it came out in the winter of 2022, maybe a few months after, hard to say. But I gradually took on the role that I think every friend group needs to have someone in, which is the severance evangelist. Like, I'm the guy who tells my friends, no, 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 like, Apple actually does good shows. Like, it's not, it's not just, so you're it's the, not just Ted Lasso. You're the severance, yeah. you're the severance Alex McDaniel, is what you are. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, it's not just Ted Lasso, which might not be for you. It's good for what it is. But, like, I understand if you're looking for something a little bit more prestige adjacent. Like, I understand. And trust me, severance can do, they can swim in those HBO waters as well. And I've had that conversation with a bunch of my friends and, and convinced them to watch Severance. And every time I do, I'm lauded for it. So I'm yeah. excited to have more people talk about it. Well, you will, you will receive more of that today because I, I was the same. I forget. Uh, I feel like it was either Michael Jr. or Nicole Auerbach who maybe told me that it's a great show. Um, and then it's kind of, it was the same kind of thing. Went around the chat and then I watched it. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Like, love this. Um, but Matt... Did not. I had not. And look, I watched. It turns out when I went back to it, I, I realized it was it was part of the way through the third episode that I, that it had stopped in my in my continue watching tab. And I don't know what it was. You know, I I did think aesthetically it was interesting, and we can get into that whole element of it too as a, a separate topic. But I guess the first couple of episodes. For whatever reason, I, I feel like there it, it, it was a premise where I thought this is clever. I get it. Cool. I don't know that I want to watch nine episodes of it. And what's what's weird about it, and what's interesting, having like pushed through that point, thanks to Alex choosing it for this week, is that the further into it I got it really starts to open up and become more interesting and proved to me that it, that it actually wasn't even about what I thought it was about, like thematically, right? Not just like the premise of the show internally, but like it, it, it is definitely not just corporate dystopia. That's obviously on the surface what it is, but it is a bigger it's bigger territory than that. And I think I needed to get further into the show to appreciate it. Kirsch, did you, how would your initial thoughts on Adam Scott as a lead? Cause I know that I, I'm not saying that we wouldn't love him or whatever, but I think of Adam Scott, I think of like straight comedy. Like this is a very, it's a very funny show, but it's a very quirky, dark. How do you like him in this specific role? What is, what is it about the cast that actually stands out to you? I really liked him in this world, and I think that's a feat because I think of him sort of as that straight man in a sitcom situation like he is in, in Parks and Rec, which is probably – not probably. It's definitely his most most known yeah. acting role, I think, to most people, though yeah. he's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, in TV, anyway. I mean, obviously, yeah. he did Step Brothers. He's done a lot of stuff. We could talk Adam Scott. Uh, <laughs> 
my point is that very I, different than the stepbrothers role for sure. Yeah, very different than the stepbrothers role. Uh, but he, I think, adapts well to being like in this really dark place in this in this show, and that's not easy to do. Like you know, we've seen plenty of people from that NBC sitcom universe all those years ago try to make that move into darker more magazine-y stuff and you know it hasn't always gone well for them steve carell being a probably the top example that's that's on your mind um and i think adam scott does an amazing job blending into the the grim circumstance of this show and so for people who haven't listened to the general idea or haven't seen it the general idea is there's an a corporation that when you get severed, it essentially separates your work self from your personal self. And so when you're at work, when you're in the levels of where you're severed, <clears throat> all you know about is your job and that's it. You don't even know really anything about the company or like really, or your own life or your own life. Like right. you don't know if you're married. You don't know if you have kids. You don't know like if you're happy, they call them. So your any is your like work person. Your Audi is your, outside of work person they stagger your entry with your coworkers, so you don't run into each other in the parking lot like you don't know anyone anything about anybody and then when you're out of work you don't think about work because you don't know what you do you don't have any experience with work um and so there's also i really find that the layers of like the the moral discussion around it i think is is the one to have like what you know i we've had the conversation in the text like would you would you do it like if you could separate like work it's the it's the idea is like the ideal work-life balance like there's absolutely work-life balance because you cannot mix the two whatsoever but then it gets into the morality of like of that whole process and what it means and etc etc it's just such a fascinating way to do it while also using almost Almost exclusively, I won't say exclusively, but comedic actors. So, is it Zach Cherry? Yeah. Uh, is the one called yeah, Zach he, Cherry's great in this? So good. And he, for those, <laughs> the very specific reference I always think of is, is he's in Spider Man Homecoming. He's like, <laughs> that's right, Spider Man. <laughs> he's the he's the do a flip guy. I love that. But you know, and um, <clears throat> is it Turturro? John Turturro. Yeah, John, to me, John Turturro is actually the low-key MVP of this show. He he plays a very strange and kind of like, I mean, I, I so associate him with the Coen brothers already, but it is a very Coen-esque character that he's this guy who is not just um, into the, the whole severance idea and into his job, but has bought into this like almost religion that is being pushed by the company. So like a really extreme version of buying into your, your company's uh, mission statement. And it goes so much further than that to the point that he's like quoting lines from the founder of the company. Like he's quoting scripture from a Bible. And and I think there's, there's a lot of religious uh, uh, like, overtones to this show to the people who are particularly dedicated to the company. They're pretty much all uh, either kind of like fascists who are like willing to do violence to keep this thing going, or they are sort of like religious zealots. And there's multiple characters that are like that. Yeah. It's Alex, what do you, so 
what's your favorite thing about it? Like when you recommend it to people, yeah. what what is what is it that you're saying? Like, why do you need to watch this? Like, if you're someone listening, is like, okay, this sounds bizarre. Why would I? <clears throat> Uh, two things. I respect good world building, first of all. And yep. this is world building. Like, this is great detailed writing. Like, Ben Stiller and the crew and the yes. this, this show did a really good job, uh, like, making an entire universe where this bizarre scientific procedure to split up your brain fits into real world cultural dynamics like you've got the senator basically on the payroll making sure that they can legally do severance and you've got the leftist seeming protesters who are opposed to the procedure because it's unethical i just think it's a tremendous blending of what's really science fiction and easily digestible legitimate real world political cultural touchstones so i like that a lot is the world building the whole town being named after the founder of the company is also very, uh, yes. very on the nose, I think. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I like that it has it has a little bit of a, a shot for everybody. Uh, it punches everybody's worldview in the face a little bit because it does do the corporate dystopian thing very well. And, you know, it's certainly no one will ever accuse this, this show of being, like, friendly towards corporate America. Um, <laughs> You know, the the way that it describes the company Lumen that sort of has a surveillance operation all over the town and interferes for ill with the lives of its employees and, and non-employees uh, is really, you know, I, I think is making a point about the surveillance state and about capitalism and, and all of the rest. But uh, I think it also has a little something-something for – people who the show might think oh you know people who who might overdo it in terms of oh like i want a a complete work-life balance where i have nothing (laughs) whatsoever to do with my job you know this is my nine to five and then i don't i don't focus on it i don't think about it at all it's my my work is not my identity it's not it's just a thing that i do and i keep it totally at arm's length and this show asks do you and do you really want to Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I like that too. I like I think that it asks an interesting question about exactly how much of yourself you should separate from what you spend the the plurality of your time doing, which is working. Yeah. And and even even I, I think I think what what really started to pull me in even further than that, because <clears throat> because I, I I'm with you, Alex. I think that's such a cool idea that these people have been uh, under the mistaken impression that they're not, that you can sort of like successfully separate parts of yourself as a human being that you can compartmentalize and that it it will never become a problem. But the, the further they dig into what the, the actual way the corporation works beyond just being a place where you're having to do this mindless labor, like the, 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 the rules there that are really about like governing your personality, your behavior, your relationships with other people, uh, and they are dehumanizing. Hmm. Um, I, I, to me, that's, that, that took it to another level, particularly once they start making it pretty clear that this 
company has instituted a religion on the people that work there. I think that's a really bold and uh, challenging and interesting idea to talk about that actually similarly to your job at a big company, in some ways, you know, these sort of religious institutions also ask people to kind of like cleave your, your personality in half and, and, and think of yourself as almost two different people that you're, you, you've got this person that, that is having all your thoughts and feelings inside. And then the way that you behave on the outside has to be this completely different person that follows all these rules. And I think they particularly get into that really effectively with John Turturro mm -hmm. and Christopher Walken, which yeah. Is not, I mean, if you told me on paper we're going to create a relationship on screen between those two actors, I think I would have said that sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's actually super effective and you really are rooting for those guys. Yeah, it's very endearing. And it, yeah. They, what I love, and I'm re I just did a little bit of rewatching over the past couple of days. I didn't get all the way through it again, and I need, and now I'm going to finish it for sure. I'll, I'll put 24 to the side. <laughs> <laughs> a few hours um the it's the world building is done in a way that there's really not a lot of detail but they still create this entire picture so i mean like they're just looking for scary numbers right like that's the <laughs> like, the, yeah. the rules that they have about the, like how does that it's not like they're asking you to fill in stuff with your imagination but they give you enough but not a lot and and it works like it makes every detail yeah. feel important, even if it's actually never explained. <laughs> yeah, it adds something for sure. I mean, it and, and I think about how you combine that with the costumed characters doing the sort of sex tinged play that they do, the play acting that they do in the in the shrine to the founder of the company. Uh <laughs> while Zach Cherry's character is in there having his waffle party uh, <laughs> towards the end of the season. God, the parties are so weird. The melon, the, the, just right. take the picture before the melon bloat kicks in. Yeah. And Adam yes. Scott's like, <laughs> it all contributes to a feeling that there must be some very strange cultishness here. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and I think the scary numbers are part of that too. Like, yeah. Clearly, this this company thinks that they've cracked a code of some sort to solve some intractable problem by being like this. And I like that we don't entirely know what what that is. I think that that's yeah. a compelling reason to keep watching. It it definitely also has. I mean, in, in addition to having a cliffhanger ending that makes you that immediately made me incredibly anxious for season two. Welcome to our world. We've been that way for what two years now. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the big any of this big stuff that we find out in the last episode. But I I do want to talk about another element that I feel like maybe at first I thought was just sort of a silly comedic relief part of this show. And the further we went, the more I, I thought I wonder if they're like putting down breadcrumbs for something down the road, which is this brother-in-law character Rickon, who is. Very, very funny, first of all, this actor. And it is it is a, a very silly character who is basically this, like, self-help guru. I'm dying laughing because I think the scene where 
he stays over Adam's bad stays over and they have the he explains why the three beds are in there so you don't create the yes. thing. And so then the next morning he's talking to his sister and she's like, Oh, you look, or you look still hung over or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I'm, I've just been up unable to sleep because I've been reliving the trauma of my childhood bed being ripped from me. It's a, it's a on the face an incredibly goofy character. Yeah. But like the way that the way that this, especially towards the end of the season, like you start to see that actually he's having a big impact on people, which is, not what you expect, I think, when you first meet the character. And there's, it's all, I mean, you can kind of see another cult starting to form around this guy. Um, the, the, the way that some of these other characters, I mean, the way that innies react to reading his book without knowing anything about him. And then also like, you know, there's a little moment where they're looking for something. And again, I won't spoil it, but like somebody finds it and immediately starts running to Rick and going like, I found it. It was me. Please love me. Like the, the, yeah. I, I feel like they're setting us up for that, that maybe like the people in this world, just no matter what or where it comes from, like they need to be a part of something like that. Yeah. And there's a nice fit between, I think the way the show makes characters who are, only loosely connected to each other, fit together for the betterment of the entertainment product and the story is good. I think Rickon and Mark, uh, the Adam Scott, the lead, are a good example because Rickon is like almost beyond parody. Like mm-hmm. he's like he's. It's like he's from another show almost. Right. Like yeah. Like he's incredibly <laughs> aloof. He's not like entirely of the real world, and yet. Mark is not entirely of the real world either because mm. he's leaving half of himself behind in the basement of this corporation every day. And so there's one episode in particular at the end of the season where they have an interaction where neither of them can quite realize that the other is being completely ridiculous or, or should sound completely ridiculous. And it actually helps them accidentally wind towards the truth together. Uh, and like that works. It just It just works. And I wouldn't even think that I wouldn't have even thought to pair them up in that way, but this show does. It's also, last thing, we'll jump to trivia here in a second, but um, there's something like sadly beautiful in the early episodes, the premise, the idea of, you know, when they're talking about why would you ever do this? His sister is a great, I love his sister. I thought she's, she's such a great. Yeah, she's great. She's a great exposition tool in some ways, but very funny and like natural about it where she says like, look, I respect that you took this job. I understand why. And you find out that he's literally just wants to escape the the trauma and sadness of his wife's passing. And that's why, because you kind of sit there and you think, why would someone want to do this? Why would you cut yourself in half, do all these things? And, and there's something that's so like thinking about that trauma processing that he's going through and how that seemed like it would be an, a good way to do it. And just the idea of the two, um, what did they show? They show him crying in the car before he goes in. Then he shows up to work and he walks in and he's like, Hey guys, you know? Um, but it's the same thing with, with Heli where it's the relationship between the innie and the Audi is so fat. And that's where the, you know, that, like you said, the assumed left-leaning protesters saying like, you have complete control over this other complete being um, where essentially if you quit, your Audi has to like allow you to quit, <laughs> but they don't yeah, have very, have very creepy. Yeah. And they don't like, 
conclusion that you do. You're and sort you of can't being smuggle anything out. Like it's just so it's just so well done. I just well, it, yeah, a really interesting idea that you're basically being imprisoned by yourself by yeah. doing this. Um, and yeah, we didn't really talk that much about Heli, but that's that. I'll use that as our segue into talking about uh, our game show segment that we're going to do today. Uh, Heli, of course, like the other workers at Lumen, is uh, is trapped. And today's pop culture trivia contest is going to be about movies involving a woman being trapped somewhere, which this sounds a lot creepier now that I'm saying that I did a whole contest on this now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but uh, that's going to be our subject for these trivia questions today. Our, uh, our, our game is called Inside Girl. Go ahead with the jingle, Chandler. Inside So well, you that, cut out as you went to the high note. We went, we went, we went long. Yeah, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let that one reach the airwaves. <laughs> Didn't pull it off. Uh, all right, Alex. So we're going to have three questions for each of you uh, about movies involving women who are trapped. Uh, your first question, Alex. In Best Picture winner, Silence of the Lambs, a woman finds herself trapped in a well by a serial killer who wants to wear her skin. What is the nickname given to that serial killer in the film? Hannibal Lecter. I'm sorry. We were looking for the Buffalo other serial Bill. killer in the movie. That is Buffalo Bill. Ah, my God. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Caroline with a chance to take an early like, lead. It's just like, what on earth is happening right now? I'm going to do my best. I'm, I, honestly, that was closer to the pin that than, was, I thought it, than I thought yeah, I would Yeah, that get. was a good Yeah, lead. no, you are in the, you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, uh, Hannibal's a bad guy, so that's fair. That's a fair answer. They're both they're both serial killers, to be fair. Caroline, in the nineteen seventy nine film Alien, what is the name of the ship in which Ellen Ripley finds herself trapped with a terrifying alien creature? The Nostromo. That is correct. That is a one to zero lead after the first round for Caroline. Alex, that's Nostromo. Your second question. In this 2002 film, a mother and daughter are trapped by the unlikely trio of Forrest Whitaker, Jared Leto, and Dwight Yoakam. That is a real movie. I just need you to tell me the title of the movie. 2002. What? I have no idea. I have no clue. How on earth is he supposed to know this? This is a David Fincher movie, actually. Okay. Well, it's not Gone Girl. Doesn't sound like that. Doesn't sound the same. Uh, I don't know. I I have to. I have to throw in the towel. That would be the movie Panic Room with I've a young really Kristen that, Stewart. Oh, that's not Brie Larson. That's the room. Nope. Uh, Caroline, <clears throat> in Ten Cloverfield Lane, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is trapped in an underground bunker 
with a doomsday prepper played by which beloved veteran actor? Um, isn't Brian Cranston in one of these? Is that your answer? Yeah, Brian Cranston. It is John Goodman, unfortunately. Mm. All right, doors. I don't know. I never. Brian Cranston is actually not in any of the Cloverfield movies. Just for the record, is he not? No, I think you're thinking of Godzilla. (laughs) Oh, it's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Alex, your last shot here. Actress Brie Larson won an Oscar for this movie in which she played a woman trapped inside a room with her young son. Oh, this was a few years ago. Um, wait, Caroline just said it. It was the room. She just said it. Wait, I, Caroline I, did just wait, say it. Wait, that's and it is the room. You got it. Caroline. Yeah, right, Caroline. Right, bank shot. Bank shot. Yeah, Caroline, Caroline ruining the show by blurting out. The I wouldn't name. have gotten it. I wouldn't have gotten it. I For some reason, yeah. Caroline shouting yeah. out the names of other movies involving women yeah. being trapped during a contest about that. All right. Well, thank you. Oh, no, I better get this last one. Blew it. Okay. This, oh, is, this okay. is coming down to the wire here. All right, Caroline. Alex listens to me. That's nice. Caroline, you, yeah, you'll be yeah. you'll be happy to find uh, that this is about a subject that uh, I've brought up on the show numerous times because oh, no. you don't know anything about it. Uh, in this M. Night Shyamalan movie, Anya Taylor-Joy is trapped in a secret room beneath the Philadelphia Zoo by a villain known as The Horde. What? I've given you so many opportunities to finally go and study the works of M. Night Shyamalan. You know it's important to me. (laughs) I always thought that we were past it. Yeah, no, I'm going to keep bringing it up. Um, the village. It is not the village. It is called Split. Is the name of the movie. It's not a real I movie. Was, I, I thought I actually, I actually was going to get that right. Yeah. If, if it had been to me, I would have. I that was and for some reason I saw that movie a few years ago. I was first going to say the menu, but that wasn't one of his. I actually so, thought about putting the menu as one of the questions. I, in this game. I like that movie. Split the, I, yeah. is a uh, the the Hollywood's first stealth sequel. Famously, it is it is secretly a sequel to Unbreakable. Another was, M. Night Shyamalan movie that Caroline has not seen. Nope. I was hoping you were going to say it was a sequel to the movie Stealth, the one with uh, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yep. It is not. All right. So I think we finished with a with a one-to-one tie, right? We I'll did. Alex Alex it. coming through in the end because of a, a unforced, unforced turnover by Caroline at the buzzer. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. I appreciate it. I will say, I'm going to say, ultimately, it speaks well of both of you that you're not super familiar with the (laughs) women-trapped underground genre of movies. So well done to both of you. You're welcome. So I always want to make sure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Alex, thank you for putting up with that and playing. And thank you for for pushing me to finish watching this show because – I really, I really loved it. It's, it's so much more than I thought it was going to be. And I'm genuinely excited to see more of it. And I actually was looking up the season two. They're adding like some pretty impressive actors to the cast They're too. I'm trying to yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited and I appreciate you 
giving, I mean, this is a big thing for, for me on pop culture potluck is like, I end up getting asked to watch stuff. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ever watched on my own. Sometimes it's Jason Kirk making us watch left behind from 2014. (laughs) Sometimes it's this, which is much more enjoyable. (laughs) I'm, I'm honored to help. And it's just a shame that when you guys log off today, you won't remember that we had this conversation. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Alex, where can the people find you? Uh, you can listen to Split Zone Duo if you're looking for a college football podcast, available wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, and I am on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner. No C. Where can people read your, your excellent reporting and writing also, Alex? Yeah, I, I bounce around a bit, but you can find a lot of my writing at Slate, at Slate.com. And uh, the, the tremendous work of the other members of the staff there who do a tre- who do like a really, really good job, better than me, I would say, covering – all manner of news, culture, sport, politics. It's great. Love it. Well, thanks as always to our guests uh, and to all of you guys, our listeners, who continue to give us great material to work with at the outset of the show. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to keep doing that. Send us emails to forthewatercooler at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-432-8308. Uh, We also appreciate you guys leaving reviews uh, wherever you listen to the podcast. That really helps us out. And, you know, engage with us on social media. We're both out there. We love talking about the show with you guys and and, uh, hearing your reaction to the stuff that we're doing. I'm at Matt Scalisi on basically every platform. Caroline is C.W. Darney, uh, wherever you want to find her on social media. So hit us up and and, uh, let us know that you're enjoying and listening to the show. And uh, we always appreciate hearing from you guys and until next week we will see you guys again at for the water cooler